Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. We're so glad you have joined us uh, this morning. I am Roddy Taylor. I'm the pastor here. Um, and before we get started, first of all, if you have children that are kindergarten to third grade-ish, uh, they can dismiss out the back with Miss Chandra. Um, and in terms of today, you guys are in for a treat. Um, and that treat is you don't have to listen to me preach today. We have, a, we have a Dr. Orge, uh, who is the president of Gateway Seminary. Uh, one of our, I think, five seminaries as a convention. Um, and we're just so glad to have him here today and to share his word. Uh, he is here on Thanksgiving break. He is also grandfather in our house. And so we put grandpa to work. So, uh, Dr. Orge, you're up. I think that's the first time he's ever called me Dr. Orge. That felt kind of good. Let's just keep that going all week, like at the dinner table and everywhere, okay? All right, good, Rondi. Thank you for that, Pastor. Well, thank you for letting me have a few moments to talk with you this morning. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark in the New Testament. The second book in the New Testament, Matthew and then Mark. And then when you get to Mark, we're going to be in chapter 1, the first, the first chapter. Mark chapter 1. Now, as you're turning to Mark 1, let me give you a, a little background about this message, and then we'll move right into the message itself. Uh, the first bit of background is this. A number of years ago, I was reading the Bible, and I came across a story in which something very important happened. And the people who did this very important thing are mentioned in the story. But their names are not included. And I remember laying my Bible down and praying out loud this prayer. God, what? They couldn't even get their name in the story? Why is it that they were left out? So that started me down a path of study, and I found out that there are 170 characters who are named in the New Testament. So that led me to another question. What about the people who aren't named? Why are they part of the story? And I called those people who are a part of the story who are not named shadow Christians. They're not in the spotlight. They work in the shadows. And I got so caught up in this that I actually wrote this book called Shadow Christians. I'm not here to sell books today. I gave Rondi some of these. If you want one after church, ask him. He might give you one if you're fascinated by this study. But today, I want to introduce you to one of these characters in the New Testament who is not named, but whose story was so important that it got included in the Bible and has been passed down these years, and we're still preaching about it today. And you know, that's kind of the point, isn't it? In our world, we think that celebrities make the difference. But in actuality, all through the Bible, it was anonymous people who never get their name on the up in lights or never get asked to be on a national program. They aren't featured on Fox News or filling stadiums for concerts. No, those, those people are like all of us, relatively anonymous, known only by a small circle, but still with the potential to make a significant difference. So I want to introduce you to one of those characters this morning and show you from a couple of different perspectives 
how important his life is for us today. Now, this particular story is painted against the backdrop of this important insight. Life is painful. You are either going through a painful time, you've been through one, you're headed toward one, or somebody you care about is experiencing one. Life is painful. And we see Jesus encountering a man in pain and bringing hope to him, and by doing so, showing us how he brings hope to hurting people. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 39. The Bible says this. Jesus went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him. Be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then Jesus sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And yet <laughs> he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he was out in deserted places, and they came to him from everywhere. Here's a man, no name, only, only titled to us by his disease, the leper. This man was hurting. Now, he was hurting in several ways. First of all, obviously, he was hurting physically because the Bible says he was a leper. Now, we know what leprosy is, but quite honestly, in our world, it has a more narrow medical definition. It's called Hansen's disease. Back in Jesus' time, they didn't have that kind of narrow negative, or excuse me, narrow specific definition. So leprosy just meant skin ailment. It could have been leprosy, like Hansen's disease today. It might have also meant skin ulcers. It might have meant skin rashes. It might have been bleeding sores. Might have even been skin cancer. It could have been any or all of those. But when anyone had one of these horrible skin ailments, it was called leprosy. Now, have you ever had anything like that? Have you ever had a rash break out on your body? Ever had shingles? Ever had some bleeding sore that just wouldn't stop? Ever had a pus-filled place that had to be drained? You know what I'm talking about. This stuff is painful, isn't it? Now, today we have creams and ointments and pills, and we can get a little relief. But think about this poor man in this story. He had leprosy. He was physically hurting. But beyond that, he was hurting socially. Now, here's what the Bible said about people with leprosy. Over in the Old Testament, in a book called Leviticus, there's some instructions there about how to handle lepers. Now, because they were potentially contagious, at least so they thought back in those days, and their skin disease couldn't be allowed to spread through the community, lepers had to stay away from everyone. In fact, the Old Testament says this to a leper. If you have leprosy, you go as far away from other people as the, as the sound of your voice will carry. And if you see another person coming down the street, coming over the horizon, coming across the field, you yell out. Now, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to blow the sound system out. Here we go. You yell out, unclean, unclean. 
and as far as your voice would carry, people had to stay away from you. Now you imagine that. Can you imagine never having another human being any closer to you than the sound of your voice? Look, the leper invented social distancing, okay? <laughs> Long time before we thought of it. But think about how sad that must have been. Think about it. Imagine for the rest of your life, you never got to have a meal with another person. You ate every meal alone for the rest of your life. Imagine for the rest of your life, you never shook hands with anyone, never got a pat on the back, never sat next to a friend, never got a hug. Now, if you're in my stage of life, imagine if the rest of your life you never had a grandchild crawl up in your lap and say, Daddy, Granddaddy, can you read a book? Never again. So would you agree this man was hurting socially? So he's hurting physically. He's a leper. He can't, he, he can't get any relief. He's hurting socially. He, he can't be around people at all. And because of those two things, he was also hurting spiritually because he couldn't go to synagogue or temple. He, he couldn't go anywhere where people were, so he could never go to worship. He couldn't come and hear singing like we heard today or hear scripture reading like we've heard today. He couldn't come and hear a sermon or receive fellowship and support from his fellow uh, 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 Jews or fellow followers of Jesus in later days. He, he couldn't do it. Spiritually, he was isolated, rejected alone. This man is hurting. Now, what about you this morning? Do you fall into any of these categories? Are you hurting physically? Do you have an ailment that you didn't ask for and you don't want, but it's come on you? You have cancer, fibromyalgia. You have uh, a pain in your joints from arthritis or something like that. You have a, something in your intestines or in your back. You didn't ask for it. You don't want it. You don't think you deserve it. But, brother, you got it. And because of that, you hurt every day. Or maybe you're hurting physically because of something you did to yourself. You've abused your body with drugs or alcohol. You've abused yourself with not getting proper rest or taking care of yourself physically. And because of that, your body's breaking down or your body is broken in some way and you're hurting physically. What about socially? Do you feel sometimes that life is a perpetual middle school lunchroom where you're sitting at the wrong table and don't know what to do? You find yourself surrounded by people but you still feel alone? Are you a person who doesn't quite always know what to say and if you do say something, sometimes you feel like you said the wrong thing? Just a social misfit? Are you hurting spiritually? Do you honestly feel like some days that there's just no place for you in a church or anywhere spiritually focused like anything to do with God? And you would honestly say, you know, I, I, I just don't feel like that's for me. I don't feel like I fit. I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like God wants me, and I don't think his people do either. Listen, 
if you're in the same situation as the leper, you're hurting physically or you're hurting socially or you're hurting spiritually, I have really good news for you. Jesus is looking for you. And he wants to come into your life and bring you hope. That's the whole point of the first part of this story. Jesus encounters this leper and gives him healing, which is the means for hope in his life. Jesus wants you to have hope today. Whether you're dealing with your physical ailments, your social uh, isolation, your spiritual rejection, whatever it is that's bringing you pain, Jesus Christ says, I am hope and I want to bring you hope today. Now, in this story, Jesus delivers this hope to this man in a remarkable way. What does it say he did? It says Jesus touched him. Now, let's go back to that Old Testament again, Leviticus. The Bible was really clear. You were never to touch a leper because if you touched a leper, it made you ceremonially and religiously unclean. And it even really, they feared, made you physically unclean. And you had to go through all these prescribed washings to get yourself purified all over again. And yet, this leper comes up to Jesus, falls down in front of him and says, if, you can, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus does the unthinkable. He touched him. Now you're thinking, well, of course he did. He was Jesus. But that's the point. Jesus did not have to touch this man to heal him. Jesus could have eye blinked him. And he would have been healed. Jesus could have ear wiggled him or nose twitched him. Jesus could have just waved his hand. Listen, Jesus could have done anything in the moment to heal this man. He could have done anything in the moment to heal this man. But what did he do? He what? Touched him. He touched him. He demonstrated in that moment the unthinkable. I give you hope. I don't care who you are. I don't care how you're broken. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how isolated you are, how much you're in pain in this moment. Here is what I give you. I touch you. Now, that got me thinking. Did Jesus ever touch anyone else? So I started studying the stories in the Bible where Jesus touched somebody. And I found out Jesus was always touching everybody. Give you some examples. One time, the Bible says, Jesus put his fingers in a guy's ear to restore his hearing. Another time, the Bible says, Jesus put his, hand, his fingers on a man's diseased eyes to give him eyesight. Another time the Bible says Jesus touched a man on his tongue to restore his capacity to speak. Another time, near the end, one of Jesus' followers whipped out a sword, whacked off a guy's ear. Jesus picked up the bloody ear and stuck it on the stump. Jesus walked around with earwax, eye gunk, snot, spit, and blood on his hands. That's Jesus. Why? Because Jesus wants you to understand no matter how dirty, how stinky, how foul, how ugly, how unseemly, how unsettling, how nasty your situation, he wants to touch you. And my friends, that is good news. That is good news. I can tell you this morning, it doesn't matter who you are what you've done, where you've been, or how vile it has made you. Come to Jesus Christ this morning and ask him to forgive you 
and to, in a sense, touch you like he touched this leper, and he will change your life forever. No one too nasty, too dirty, too ugly, too broken, too defeated, too bad for Jesus to touch. That's good news. Well, that, that's, that's sort of the first way of looking at this story. But now, there's a, there's a second aspect of this. And that is how Jesus related to this leper and what motivated him to do so. Now, let's switch the perspective on the story. Because up until now, I've been preaching to you as if the person in the story that you are represented by is the leper. That's good news. But now let's turn the story a little bit and let's look at this story a slightly different way. Let's make you Jesus. You see, Jesus now models for us how he wants us to relate to hurting people. What does the Bible say? It says, Jesus, it says, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. Now, what is our perspective supposed to be on hurting people? Well, quite frankly, sometimes Christians scare me about this. They see broken, dirty, hurting, evil, vile people in our world, and they say, hey, those people deserve what they get. Really? Is that the attitude we're supposed to have toward broken people, toward hurting people, toward rebellious people, toward what I would describe even as evil people? That's not the way Jesus saw them. What's the phrase in verse 41? Moved with compassion. Now, listen to this. In our world, compassion is a soft word. It kind of goes with a hallmark, kind of a hallmark movie type word, okay? Compassion. Sweet word. It's full of butterflies and flowers and those kind of soft images. But in the Bible, the word compassion has a different root, a different meaning, a different connection. The word compassion literally means boiling or stirring in the bowels. It means bubbling in your gut. That's the connection of compassion, the word origin, to the word translated compassion. So this doesn't say moved with compassion, meaning Jesus had a warm fuzzy toward the leper. Moved with compassion means Jesus had something that boiled up within him, that bubbled up inside of him, that was, or that was churning within him, that was pushing him, motivating him, driving him, trying to get him to do something. Now, let me tell you how we use this more commonly in our world today. We say a person is boiling with anger, not compassion. But that phrase, boiling with anger, we know what that means, don't we? We know that boiling with anger means that anger is just boiling within you. It's bubbling. It's simmering. It's cooking. It is just doing something within you that's getting you agitated and ready to move. And you're going to boil over with that anger in just a moment. Boiling with anger. Now, keep that image in mind because that's the same connection here to compassion. But instead of boiling with anger, this verse says Jesus was boiling, bubbling, simmering, stirring, rumbling, deep down within him, something. And that something was compassion. And that was coming up out of him. And it caused him to do the unthinkable. He reached out and touched that 
leper. Listen carefully. This is the model for all of us in relationship to the hurting people around us. We have to ask God to replace our attitudes of being judgmental, of being hard-hearted, of being dismissive, and of blaming, and to say instead, God, would you put deep down inside of me compassion for hurting people? And would you cause that compassion to boil up within me in such a way that it motivates me to do something I might not otherwise think of doing. It motivates me to do something that people might not have expected from me. It motivates me to do something that is directed toward meeting the need of the hurting person. It causes me, if you will, to touch people in the name of Jesus. You know, that's what will keep you going as a Christian in ministry through a church like this one to your community. You cannot depend on being motivated by duty or by emotion or by special feelings toward the pastor or the program or any kind of thing related to the facility. I mean, all of these things are nice, but they're not going to keep you going, not in the face of hurting people in your families, in your communities. But one thing that will keep driving you forward is if God will put compassion inside of you and make you like Jesus in this regard. So moved with compassion, as I've already said, Jesus did the unthinkable. He touched him. That will motivate you to do the same. You know, when you launch out as a church like you have here to do ministry in your community, you're going to find yourself doing things that maybe you think are unthinkable. You say, well, you want me to go visit a friend and talk to him about Jesus and try to bring him out of his drug and alcohol addiction and help him find a new way forward, that's going to be messy. I know. But move with compassion. You're going to reach out and touch that friend. You say, well, I got a brother-in-law. Oh, man, have I got a brother-in-law. Guy's useless. Can barely stand it. The decisions he's made, the dumb things he's done, he deserves what he gets. Hmm? Hmm? Not if you move with compassion. If you move with compassion, you're going to keep after him to help him understand there's a better way. Life can be different. You can make some choices. Brother, I would, I'll support you 100%, but you got to make the right decision. you got to come to Jesus. And not just so much in these dramatic moments, but what about just the ebb and flow of the ministry of a church where you're going into this community and distributing information and doing vacation Bible school and leading sports camps and reaching out to hurting people in the name of Jesus in all kinds of ways and that you can even imagine and some that I can't. What will keep you going to do all of that? It's if you'll ask God for compassion to make it happen. Now, some of you are looking back at me like this. Because you're still thinking compassion is some soft, warm, fuzzy feeling you're waiting to come over you. It's not that at all. Compassion, remember, is when you ask God to put something deep down inside of you that bubbles up, motivates, moves you, drives you to do what is unexpected and even unthinkable in reaching out to hurting people. Ask God for that. Well, let's turn the one more perspective on this story the last part now i have to tell you this story ends in a very unusual way so the leper comes to jesus jesus heals him 
And then Jesus says this amazing instruction, paraphrasing, shortening it. Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. I mean, it's right here. Look at the Bible. Verse 44. See that you say nothing to anyone. <laughs> don't tell anybody. Now, doesn't this puzzle you? This puzzles me. I mean, I can take time if we had it and turn you over to three or four or five other places in the New Testament where Jesus said, go tell everybody. So now, wait a second. Jesus is going to go tell everybody, tells us to go tell everybody, but he told this leper, don't tell anybody. What is going on here? What is happening here? Now, I've had some great example. I've had some great attempts made uh, try to explain this to me, but here's my favorite. Someone once told me, this is Jesus using reverse psychology. He told the guy, don't tell anybody, knowing that that would motivate him to go tell everyone. Come on, Jesus is not a parlor trickster. He's not playing games with us. That can't be the answer. So what's going on here? Well, let's think about the timetable of what's happening here. This is in Mark chapter 1. This is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Those commands that Jesus gives us to go and tell everybody, when did they happen? They happened at the very end of Jesus' three years of time on earth in ministry. So now we're at the very beginning. And this text says, look at verse 39. Jesus went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And then drop down to verse 44. When he was out proclaiming these things and spreading the news, uh, or, or when, the, when the leper went out spreading the, the news of what had happened, what happened? The result was Jesus could no longer enter town openly, but he had to stay out in deserted places, and people kept coming to him from everywhere. Now here's, I think, a better explanation than reverse psychology. Listen now. The people that were coming to Jesus early on in his ministry, these throngs of people that were pouring out to see him and hear him, listen now, they were showing up because they thought it was the circus. They came for the show. Hey, there's a guy down there going to heal somebody. Let's go watch, see what happens. There's a guy down there going to take some loaves and some fishes and feed everybody. Let's go get some lunch. Yeah. These people were showing up because it was the hot thing to do in the area. And what Jesus said to the leper was, look, I don't need help drawing a crowd because that's really not what I'm about. Instead, he said, what? Do something. Go show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing. Now, this is even more puzzling. Remember, Jesus has just broken all the Old Testament law by touching a leper and broken all the Old Testament law by welcoming this man into his presence and broken all the Old Testament law by violating all rules about separation, uncleanness, yelling out, all of that. Jesus has just set the whole law of the Old Testament aside in order to heal this leper. And then he says to the leper, now, you go fulfill the law. This puzzles me. He said, you go find a priest up there at the temple, and Moses, who wrote that Old Testament law, he wrote down some things you do to make an offering for sacrifice, excuse me, for thanksgiving, for healing. You go do that. That's what I want you to do. What is happening here is this. 
Jesus was saying to this man, I do not need your help to draw a crowd. And I don't need you to do what you think is best right now. Here's what I need from you. I need you to do what I say. Obey me. And the way you're going to obey me is you're going to rejoin your community where you need to live. It says, as a testimony to them, last of verse 44. You're going to go rejoin your community. And the only way they're going to accept you back in your community is if they see you doing what needs to be done. And that is you go find a priest and you make an offering and you express your appreciation to God for this healing you've received today. And that's all you need to do. Now, this message gets real hard here at the end. You know that first part? If you're hurting, Jesus wants to touch you. That's good news, isn't it? Man, we like hearing that part of the sermon. That middle part, that's a little tougher, but we understand it. Compassion is supposed to motivate us to go out and do ministry. We get that. We get that. But now this last part, this is the hardest part of all. Because Jesus gets to the end of this story, and I get to the end of, to the end of this sermon, and here's what I have to say. Obey Jesus. Stop trying to think up ways to impress him and just do what he says. Jesus speaks very clearly, for example, about relationships in families. He speaks very clearly about relationships in community. He speaks very clearly about working and honoring authority and responding to, uh, to a, a, a community needs. And he speaks very clearly about interpersonal relationships and how to manage your bitterness and your anger and your resentments and how to give forgiveness and move on. Jesus is pretty clear about these things. And this story at the end just simply says, stop trying to think up ways to do impressive way, things to make God uh, look good and somehow convince him that you know best. Just stop it. And find out what Jesus says about life and do it. It's just that simple. Oh, if it were only that simple, right? But you know, this morning it really is a simple process, even though the challenge of it, of course, is difficult. So the end of the message is this. If you're hurting and Jesus brings you hope, he then sends you out with compassion to deliver that message to other hurting people. And he says, and for the rest of your life, stop trying to think up ways to impress me or others or do something dramatic or wonderful or exp uh, expressive for me. Instead, he says, no, just do what I say. And if you'll do that, you'll be fulfilling everything I want from you. Now, let's finish this way. If you want to make a response to this message today, if you are a hurting person and you want Jesus to come into your life to, in a sense, touch you, or if you're a person who is a Christian and wants greater compassion for ministry to hurting people, you've got to make a response just like the leper did. Let's look at his response in verse 39. It says, he came to him and on his knees begged him. Now, 
I don't think the application of this is necessarily that you have to come here this morning and get on your knees and beg. I don't think that's what this means. Now, you might need to do that, but I don't think it has to be that. But listen carefully. Whatever in your life would look like humbly begging for God to do something for you, whatever that would look like, that's what you're going to need to do. And for some of you, that might be a public moment, but for others, not so much. Let me tell you an example of what I mean. When I was a younger pastor, I was uh, working in a church not much larger than this one, frankly, and was working in my office and got through early on a Friday and went home and had a little extra time that day, so I took a longer lunch and uh, left about quarter to 12 and came back about 1.30. When I walked back in the building, there was a man sitting outside my office door on a little bench. Now, this bench had been placed there by some women in our church as a decorative item. It wasn't a sitting bench. Fellas, you know what I'm talking about? You probably have one of these in your house. That you don't sit on that, you just look at it. You understand what I mean? But this guy didn't apparently know that. So he came to my office and sat on this little bench outside. Now, what made it remarkable was this was one of the wealthiest men in our church and a business owner in our community who his company had about 90% of the business of what they did in our city. His wife was a member of our church. He was also a member. But there was always something quite not quite right about him. Always something that seemed a little mysterious or a little, a little different or a little, a little standoffish, like he was holding something back. And I walked in my, uh, around the corner of my office, and he's sitting on that little bench, just sitting there, this rich, powerful, influential man on this little bench with his knees together and his hands in his lap, just waiting for a pastor young enough to be his son. I said, I didn't know you were coming by. I I'm sorry, he said. That's all right. I said, how long have you been here? He said, well, I got here about 5 till 12 hoping I'd catch you before lunch. I said, oh, I'm sorry, you just missed me. And I am sorry, I didn't know you were here. I would have come back sooner. And he said, it didn't matter how long you were gone. And then he said these words, because I was going to sit here until you came back because this is it for me. It's today or it's never. And we went in my office, and he revealed his secret. It's not what you're thinking. And it wasn't what I had even imagined. But he had something in his life that was vile, difficult, that had a hold of him and was on the verge of costing him his family and possibly his career. But what was so striking about that conversation that day was not so much what he said, but how he humbled himself and in a sense came to empty himself to a young, inexperienced pastor, half his age, but yet in that moment, sitting on that little bench, he reminds me of this leper. He came to him and on his knees begged. This is my day. If it's not today, it'll never be. He was completely humbled 
completely empty and willing to say, I will give everything if this problem, if this hurt is healed today. So as we conclude, I'm not going to ask you to do any specific thing, but I am going to ask you this. Whatever it will take for you to be like this leper, open, humbled, begging, I want to ask you to do it. Maybe it will happen right here in the next two minutes. But it might be something that happens over the next few days as you talk, to your pa talk with your pastor or a family member or get alone with God and pour your heart out to him in that context. But if you're hurting or you need deeper compassion, be like this leper and come on your knees begging, whatever that looks like for you. And he, Jesus, will answer your prayer. Let's bow our heads to him. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for this story of this anonymous man whose name didn't even get in the book. He speaks to us so strongly today, Lord, about how you care for hurting people. And so I pray right now for anyone in this service who is hurting physically, socially, spiritually. They are in pain. Give them the strength right now to turn to you and ask you for healing, for a touch, for a relationship that brings them hope. Do it right now, God. And then for those of us who are here that are already followers of Jesus, I pray that you will deepen our compassion and that that compassion would motivate us to stay actively committed to reaching out to hurting people. Compassion fatigue is a real thing, Father. We wear out easy. And we need you to rekindle this within us day by day. And then, Father, I pray that for all of us, we would recognize we don't need to do something to impress you or to show you how good we are or how great we are or how wise we are. We just need to obey And I pray we'd come humbly with a beggar's attitude and say, whatever you want, I'll do it. Whatever it takes, I'll deliver it. I'm desperate and I need you, Lord. And like this beggar, I come broken but hopeful. Father, thank you for the privilege of preaching about this man once again sharing his story and how it moves me every time. And thank you for helping us, Lord, to know that as anonymous shadow Christians, we matter. And that some of the most important stories in the Bible are people who did consequential things whose names don't even get mentioned. And let that encourage us today that we also are valuable to you and that you want to use us and work with us and make of us these same kind of stories. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Orge. Uh, 
I'm one for one. I got to keep it going. Uh, no, thank you so much for being here uh, today and for joining us at Living Hope Church. Uh, before we get to announcements, though, we have something unique and special today. Uh, Brooks, who's a part of our church, uh, is also part of Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts, and uh, he has completed a badge in which he uh, went through some uh, uh, a class, essentially like a Christian fundamentals class. Uh, and so he's going to come up. I'm going to bring his dad up, Matt. He's going to come up, and he's going to just tell us a little bit about uh, this badge and this award and what he's gone through, and then uh, go ahead and give it to him. So this is Matt and Brooks. Hi, everybody. My name is Matt Rushing. Um, I am the Pac-312 Cubmaster. This is my son, Brooks. He's one of our Aerolite Cub Scouts, uh, which is the highest level in Cub Scouting. He ranges from uh, kindergarten to fifth grade. He's a fifth grader this year. Something he really wanted to do is uh, some additional adventure, we call them, in Cub Scouting um, to help not only himself but our family come closer to God. Uh, one of the 12 laws that in Cub Scouting and Boy Scouting, there's three other scouts sitting in the room right now. Uh, they will tell you there's 12 laws in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. One is a scout is reverent. So uh, looking into this program, Brooks and I went through, uh, actually took us 10 months <laughs> to get this thing done with my work schedule and with baseball and soccer and school and everything else. But um, he had a workbook that he wanted to work through to uh, earn this award, and uh, I'm really proud of him. He, he drove, when we got behind on this program, it was him that drove us, hey, Dad, we need to get this done. I want to finish this. Um, I'm very proud of him. So with this award, um, he gets a certificate, a patch, a pen, and he gets a medal for his uniform. So I'm going to ask Pastor Rondi to pin that on him if he would. I'm going to talk about the patch. And a side note while they're doing that, it's really cool that we get to do this. Today's Brooks's birthday. <laughs> Please join me in congratulating Brooks on a job well done. We'll get it. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been a fun process. I got to see the curriculum before and uh, see it afterwards, and so we're, we're very proud of him. Uh, just one other note, if you're interested in uh, Dr. Orge's book on Shadow Christians, uh, we got four copies or four or five copies out there in the lobby. Feel free to grab one uh, off that table where kids check in. Is. Uh, in terms of announcements, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the vicinity of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out, placing that box on the back table, we would appreciate it. Uh, it's also you can place your uh, tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Uh, in terms of announcements, we have small group tonight from 6 to 7 here at the church. Would love for you uh, to join us for Bible study. And for that, if you have questions, you can see me. Uh, and then this week, there are no Wednesday activities. So no youth group, no kids night, no kids choir, because Thanksgiving is the next day. So... Uh, so if you show up, uh, yeah, we won't be here. 
but uh, yeah, we hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving. Have a chance to reflect and give thanks for uh, God's many blessings in our lives, and we hope to see you uh, back here again next week. You are dismissed. Thank you for being here.